Hello and welcome to Seven Talks, the digital digestive designed to bring together the best work coming out of the seven stars and from across the media galaxy. I'm Sarah. I'm Fran. And I'm Amelia. First up this month, everyone's favourite subject, Black Friday. So uh, firstly, are you guys planning any major shops? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no, do you know what? Black Friday is one of those things that I panic that I should be involved in and then get to. And I actually, A, have often spent all my money because I tend to go away in November, unlike <laughs> the rest of humanity. Um, and B, also really struggle to find anything that I actually want. Mm. That feels like a consistent theme. Um, we've we've seen that in research before, where people have sort of said, "There's, there's everything that's out there is dis- discounted for a reason." So it's an old line, it's old stock, it's stuff that's bought in specifically, um, and it's I think facing a bit more scrutiny this year than ever before. Yeah, I've seen several articles, especially last year, that came out saying actually most items that are quite heavily discounted at Black Friday, you can find them cheaper elsewhere throughout the year. I believe there's actually a website called Camel Camel Camel, which allows you to track the prices of key items <laughs> over time. Don't ask me why it's called that. Um, and we're actually going to be using it this year on Black Friday to try and see where the best deals aren't, if you like. Um, what's interesting as well is that there's a bit of a anti-Black Friday movement, which came out of Canada initially and is starting to sweep the UK uh, sort of far, four or five years after Black Friday really took force and took hold. Um, it's quite interesting to see how brands will respond to that and whether they're going to take an active stance. Uh, for example, Patagonia in the US did it. Um, they offered employees a day off a few years ago so that they, instead of being stuck in a store, they could go out and explore the great outdoors. I remember seeing it for the first time on kind of American comedy shows and that kind of thing, you know, sort of people queuing <laughs> overnight. And of course, it's a very American phenomenon because it's entirely based on the fact that everyone celebrated Thanksgiving and has very probably got a day off work. I mean, obviously not exclusively, but... Um, and, and that immediately means, you know, in the same way that we all go a bit mental in the UK on Boxing Day because we know we've got a bit of money from um, Granite Christmas. Um, you know, everyone in the US is in a similar position. So it's odd that they've tried to kind of bring it over to the UK because it just doesn't have the same resonance, right? Yeah, as much as it's the US firms that really brought it over here to begin with, the likes of Amazon, um, they, they really made it big over here. Actually, it's funny that some of the big US companies, they're also the ones that are now going anti-Black Friday. So Walmart, for example, they're one of, one of the biggest brands that, that do Black Friday in the US. But over here, Asda, they've actually gone against Black Friday and they're not offering any deals. And they, they've done that for the past couple of years now. Isn't that because people were wrestling over TVs and stuff? <laughs> I mean, I think it was exciting when it first came over, but I mm. think... In the economy that we're currently all sitting in, where people are uncertain, I think it's safe to say, um, and and are wondering what they should be doing economically, um, and people are constantly looking for the best deals. So we've seen a massive rise in the kind of activity on affiliate site, for example. People are becoming a lot more savvy with kind of digital couponing and all of that kind of thing. I wonder if Black Friday has the same role to play that it had kind of four or five years ago when it first landed in the UK. People always want to feel like they've got a deal. So regardless of whether there's a a clear promotion, they've got other ways of of making that happen. What I find interesting as well is that, you know, brands like John Lewis, who have an entire brand positioned around never knowingly undersold, you know, we we will always give you a good price regardless, um, how they still 
choose to take part in Black Friday when it sort of goes against. <laughs> like, oh, you can give me a better deal. Oh, <laughs> Only one day, yeah. Yeah, and they, they do it on another level as well. They'll be going around the shop floor on the day, changing the signs, printing out new ones, lowering the price as they see competitors do it. Yeah. It's crazy. What about um, Christmas presents? So we found a couple of years ago that whilst 88% of uh, UK shoppers are shopping for presents that week or that period, um, most of them aren't deliberately shopping for Christmas presents on Black Friday. I mean, so I was doing some work a couple of years ago and we were looking at kind of Christmas shopping trends. And obviously we saw that people were starting their Christmas present shopping earlier and earlier just because I think the demands and the kind of expectations around Christmas increasingly, I think for consumers it's becoming kind of the one time of year where they feel like they should really sort of value up the presents. And of course, you know, increasingly, especially if you've got young children, the requirements for technology and all of that kind of thing. Like I've got two nephews and I said, what do you want? They presented me with like a 45 metre long Amazon shopping list. <laughs> do you know what I mean and there was nothing on there for under about 50 quid and I was like I love you but there's like four of you now <laughs> um, so automatically I'm like oh so that's 200 pound gone um, so you know if you don't start shopping early I think people really struggle to get people gifts that people have really requested and again going back to you know I think everyone feels we were talking about a lipstick economy last month um you know so people can manage small treats but like big treats feel like something that can only really come around once a year so Santa's definitely got his work cut out I think in 2018 um Black Friday I'm going to give you 50 quid each Ooh. right <laughs> what what are you gonna what are you gonna spend 50 quid on on Black Friday if you saw a 50 quid like your dream thing happy socks Always happy socks. Fifty pounds of socks—that's a lot. Of socks. <laughs> that's my Christmas shopping sorted. <laughs> Fran doesn't wear sad socks. She only wears happy socks. Um, I definitely buy something for my house. I'm doing a lot in my house at the moment. I mean, that probably buy me one cushion, but it would be a nice cushion. Um, I—we've gone mad on KitchenAid in our house. Oh, yeah. We've just gone a bit mental. So, in my dream, Black Friday sale with 50 quid. I really want a KitchenAid toaster so that everything matches uh, in white, if anyone's interested. Um, <laughs> There'll be a link yeah. at the end of the podcast. There'll be a link at the end of the podcast if anyone would like to buy it for me because it just doesn't match. The toaster is cream, everything else is white. It's <laughs> horrific. Um, but yeah, so I, I want a new KitchenAid toaster, please. Great. I'm looking, I'm looking at you two. Okay, mm. noted. Mm. Moving swiftly on, I want to talk about effectiveness and most importantly I want to talk about effectiveness in context, um, which was the white paper published by Binet and Fields. Um, I'm sure we all know who Les Binet, 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 Binet. Les Binet and Peter Field is, um, namely uh, they've published various white papers which have proved to have a massive effect on the marketing landscape. So for example, um, the long and the short of it primarily talks about the importance of splitting brand and um, sales activation spends so the whole 60 40 that you know increasingly i think everyone who works in marketing works to um they published media in focus which looks at primarily what media platforms you should be working on and then of course now effectiveness in context which is ultimately a challenge um into the consistency and building um uh, that we should do around marketing and the work that has to be done um and then how we uh, use powerful short-term insights to drive short-term effects but actually we also need to continue with long-term effects that they talked about in the long and the short um 
A lot of people see digital as a very short-term activation sales-driven platform, and actually one of the things that they talk about in the white paper is that is that's a myth, um, because actually in digital the myth of agility is very pervasive, digital isn't as agile as we like to think it is, and similarly a lot of the businesses that operate are not as agile as they like to think they are. So actually we should be thinking more sort of two to five years um, in terms of brand building and building sales effectiveness, both of which linking together. Uh, for me from this really was, I, I thought it was interesting that Burnett and Field are starting to look back at their previous work and, and not necessarily go against what they've said before, but they are developing on that. So rather than staying with their 60-40 media split recommendation, they're actually not afraid to look further into that and recommend that actually with different sorts of brands, now they'd recommend a slightly different split. So their argument in this paper actually is that for online brands, for those that are either researched or bought online, it is easier to activate. So therefore, they need to be investing a lot more in their brand. So now they're suggesting that the percentage of branding for online retailers is closer to 76-24, which is quite a shift away from the 60-40 split that they'd recommended previously. So as much as the 60-40 split is sort of this holy grail of media and the number that, that everyone has heard countless times, actually there are nuances to that and there are different ways in which brand and activation can work differently depending on the kind of brand it is, the journey the shopper takes and, and so many more factors which I think they probably haven't even looked into yet and I imagine will come in future papers. And next up we're going to be talking about Instagram. Now we have all seen recently the rise of travel influencers, hashtag travel blogger, photos from beaches, tropical destinations, from cities, breaks, everything. Um, but actually a recent survey of British ho holiday makers found that Instagrammability has become the number one priority for millennials when booking a holiday. So over 60% of 18 to 24 year olds are actually booking holidays based on Instagram, what they've seen on Instagram and also their assumed ability to Instagram the destination when they're there. Now, this really resonated with me because as much as I, I don't necessarily choose my holiday destinations based on Instagram, what I will do is as soon as I book a holiday, I will, the first thing I do is I go onto Instagram, I search for a place tag and I'll see what other people are posting on Instagram in that place and that will give me ideas about what I can do there the restaurants that I should go to the different viewpoints that I should go to even how I'm able to copy their pictures that they've posted so this is definitely something that I am fully behind I, I definitely recognize that, that this is something that young people are doing more and more um, and brands are recognizing this as well so EasyJet last month actually launched an Instagram booking service it's called Lookabook and it, it basically allows people to scroll scroll through an Instagram style page and almost immediately uh, recognise where that where that location is and go on to book directly, depending on the beach that they've seen or, or the cocktail um, bar that, that they've seen on Instagram, they can immediately go on and book a holiday to that place. It's a level of homogenisation mm. that I don't think we've seen previously. So of course there's always been travel guides around, there's always been travel books. 
people have always spoken to their friends, but actually the fact that people increasingly are just looking for things that they can be seen doing, as opposed to actually doing, for me, kind of, as, as a slightly older lady here, <laughs> um, increasingly that takes away the whole value and the whole point of travelling. And I find it a really odd reaction to the other thing which is going on co- um, culturally, which is people trying to go on holiday so they can switch off their phones. Mm. Um, and it's it's very interesting, these two kind of not quite polarised camps, because obviously these are the people in these particular areas who are shouting loudest. But um, I, f- I find it a really worrying trend that people are literally going on holiday almost to duplicate the photos that other people have taken on holiday in the same place. I'm actually quite guilty of this. Um, so example being went to Thailand last year and you know, Ko Pee is beautiful and it's where the beach was filmed and it's the, the subject matter of many an Instagram um, post. And it peed down with rain when I was there. And I was livid. <laughs> it just it doesn't look like Instagram. Exactly. And it's really funny that you, you do, as much as I hate it and I hate seeing it in other people's feeds, you do want to tick off literally the list of things you've seen. So again, at Machu Picchu this year, uh, not name dropping some cool holiday <laughs> whatever um, you know same principle there's that famous picture you have in front of Guana Pichu uh, which is the, the big mountain in the background and you, you have to do it it's this concept of a social currency which is almost um, unavoidable if you go but it, it it's, I think I think what's interesting so I was reading something by Faris Jacob who I'm a big fan of uh, hi Faris if you're listening um <laughs> And uh, he, his title, the title of the article on Walk was to seem and be seen. Um, and he was he was talking primarily about media, but it got me thinking about things that we do on social. And it's it's quite an old truism, isn't it, that actually people are doing things on social to be seen mm-hmm. to be seeming a certain way so you know the idea that you're doing this so that you portray that you're happy mm-hmm. or that you are living your best life you know hashtag best life mm-hmm. um, it's still if you, if you look on Instagram that's still going um, you know so I, I think what's concerning is what's going on underneath all of this kind of like veneer when you're on holiday look at me having an amazing holiday I mean even down to I was talking to a friend and she um, had been away last week and I said you have a nice time your photos looks amazing you look so happy and she went no it was miserable <laughs> and you sort of go well then why did you post lots of pictures of you looking happy then because we all thought you'd had an amazing time and actually that's certainly from a mental health and a kind of cultural health point of view that's really worrying there is also this trend um, towards fakery. So a lot of the, the travel bloggers um, out there have been accused of photoshopping and um, editing their photos. So then that makes it really difficult for anyone following them to recreate that experience authentically and leads to disappointment and leads to disillusionment. Um, and it's almost like the olden days when you would go you'd, you'd go to the travel agents, you'd get your holiday brochure, you'd decide on a hotel, you got there and they were halfway through building it. A closing question. Um, dream Instagram holiday. Oh, it's got it's got to be. You know that that shot that everyone posts, the swing in Bali, India. So uh, already been once, and there is a million things that you can Instagram in India, and it never gets old. The colours, and you can't Instagram smells, but I'm hoping for that sometime soon. Smell vision. Um, I mean, well, I, I to be honest, I think I'm. It, when I'm on holiday, I tend to post like one or two pictures and then get bored and go and actually enjoy the holiday. Um, but I think my kind of one big Instagram moment is I would like to do the whole Machu Picchu thing. Yeah. I know I'd probably die 
trying to walk <laughs> up it. But um, I think I think the rigor mortis would set in enough time to pose me at the top. So um, before we sign off, uh, we just want to share some of the cool stuff we love in November. So first up, this is the thing that we are recommending to do this month. Now, I'm recommending something that I've already seen. I actually went to a preview of this a couple of weeks ago, um, but it's launching today, the 7th of November, and is running through to the 22nd of December. And it is a theatre production at the newly opened Kiln Theatre in Kilburn, previously the famous Tricycle Theatre. Now, they have decided to reopen this theatre following a £7 million facelift. It, it looks amazing. There's there's a restaurant in there, there's a bar. Um, it's a really cool place just to hang out, actually, even if you're not going to, going to a show. Um, they've decided to reopen it with local writer Zadie Smith. She actually grew up just around the corner in Willesden Green. Her debut novel, White Teeth. Now, I have read White Teeth and I went to this, uh, as I said, a couple of weeks ago, not quite expecting um, what they actually came out with. Um, I was quite surprised to find out that it's a musical. I, I really wasn't expecting that because it's quite a hard-hitting, quite a serious novel. And, and they've turned it into a musical, but they've done it quite well. Um, there's a song about the Kilburn High Road. I did not realise I needed a song about the Kilburn High Road in my life until I heard it. And the great thing is that you come out of the theatre and you're on the Kilburn High Road and you can dance down it singing the song. So it's it's, it's really lovely. Um, it, I definitely recommend it. As I said, it's running through to December. I think tickets are only about £30, even if it's to just go and check out the, the theatre. If you live in North West, Lon West London or if you have ever been there I would definitely recommend going to check that out this month's one to watch is Don't Hit the Players um, it's on ITV2 and it's fronted by Jordan Stevens from Rizzle Kicks um, the show is riding on a popular wave of British hip hop and grime um, with many of the guests coming from the community it's already receiving critical acclaim from critics um, because it's basically a niche format that's revitalising ITV2's programming which as we all know relies heavily on Love Island and Celebrity Juice um Basically, so what it really consists of is that there are rounds of the show uh, with hip-hop trivia, um, there are sing-alongs, because we all love a good hip-hop sing-along, um, karaoke and freestyle performances from some of the artists on the show. It's kind of a mix of Nevermind the Buzzcocks meets SNL meets Jules Holland. Um, and it's been hailed as being weirdly intriguing but entertaining. Um, so from a media planner's perspective, this is the perfect TV show for a client who have got 16 to 34 adult audience. Um, and with a bit of help it's on ITV2 but the format the talent and the stage and the content and everything involved in it really captures um, the kind of zeitgeist that's going on within the demographic at the moment the show's um, getting some legs and I would not be surprised if it eventually becomes one of ITV's most sought after shows commercially and for our podcast recommendation, um, as it's around six months to the London Marathon, we thought we would give you um, something a bit different. So um, it's called Running Commentary and it's brilliant. So two comedians, Paul Tonkinson and Rob Deering, who talk about everything in life and running as they run. So you can use it as a bit of a training partner. If you're a bit of a budding Mo Farah, they've got everything from a 20 minute podcast right through to an hour and a half, two hours. It's personally got me through um, two bouts of long distance training without kidding 
killing myself. Um, and it's actually just really good fun. Um, if you listen to it for long enough, what's really interesting is that you end up syncing your breathing to theirs uh, as they run. <laughs> You, you feel so like you've got crazy. friends, um, which, you know, when you get to February and it's snowing and you've got a 20 mile run ahead of you um, is pretty much anything that will get you through. So running commentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be relieved to know that's all we've got time for this month on Seven Talks. Liked it? Then please leave a five star review on the podcast platform of your choice. And please make sure while you're there to hit subscribe to stay up to date with everything going on here at the Seven Stars. And finally, a big shout out to our production partners, Acast, for allowing the three marketeers um, to run roughshod yet again over the delicate art of podcasting.